This is T. Earl Grey Hot, an unofficial Star Trek fan podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. Species Tensi. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of T. Her Grey Hut, an unofficial Star Trek fan podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. My name is Yannick, I'm the French guy from Switzerland and joining me tonight is someone who I will never understand despite trying with very hard with multiple languages and mathematical equations, is my good friend Dave. Good evening, Dave. How are you? <laughs> good evening, Yannick. I can't even understand myself, so why I should think that anybody else could understand me is... <laughs> That's a good point. ...is That's beyond good... me. Yeah. <laughs> How are How you? How have you been doing? Ah, oh. so, um, no? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm uh, uh, a bit tired. Um, lots of stuff happening both at work and uh, selling the house and finding a new apartment and getting, you know, my, my um, papers for, for living in Switzerland are uh, to be renewed too. So I had to run uh, multiple places the, those uh, past few days, but uh, everything is in order. Everything's going to be all right. So I'm good. How about you? Well, I'm fine, um, all things considered. But uh, on on the, the the house move thing, it is said, and there have been studies, I don't know where, whether they're in this country or whether they're elsewhere, that moving house is one of the most stressful experiences anybody yeah. could experience during their lifetime. Yeah. Because when you move house, you think, well, I've got my stuff to move. But that's that's... Maybe the simplest thing, <laughs> but mm. having all the papers ready and all all that and, and whew, that that takes uh, that that takes a lot of energy. Well, I'd love to pop over and help you. Yeah, well, it's going to be a bit difficult, but thanks for for the offer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all all is okay uh, over this side. Um, we're having weather at the moment. I don't know whether you're having weather, but uh, well, we it's do a bit, have a, a weather. But mm. it's, it's a good one. Yeah. It's a bit bit windy over here at the moment. Nice. Um, so I've got to be a little bit careful with uh, antennas and such like. But uh, mm -hmm. no, all, all, all good in the hood. Cool, cool. So on tonight's episode, we are going to review the penultimate episode of the fourth season of uh, Star Trek Discovery. Fourth season, which is also the penultimate season of the it show. It is. Yeah. It is. One more and we're done. Mm. Um. This is a season four, episode 12, Species 10C. Um, and yeah, lots of stuff happening in this episode. Well, with an episode named Species 10C, it's not obvious what the episode's going to be about, is it? We've already done that joke last week. Oh, did we? Oh, okay. <laughs> how much I was paying attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, if you don't have any more jokes or <laughs> things to recycled say about jokes, this, yes, recycled jokes, <laughs> we shall uh, go on with our review of Star Trek Discovery Season Four, Episode Twelve, Species Tensi. 
So, in the teaser, uh, another big, big one, uh, this, this one. Uh, I, seems to be a, a, the, the standard now. Having Nine minutes teaser, and 42 which, seconds, yeah, I believe, it's, this it's, time. It's, it's still huge. Almost an act of, uh, by itself. Yeah. The USS Discovery approaches Species Tense's hyperfield as the crew stares in awe at the sheer size. Lieutenant Commander Detmer reports that they are 250,000 kilometers distance. Captain Burnham orders her to hold position at 200,000. President Redak notes that the size is estimated to be the distance from Sol to Mars, Mars in English, and Lieutenant Commander Owasekun confirms this, saying that it has a radius of 1.5 AUs, AU being uh, astronomical unit, uh, with a gravitational presence of 1.3 solar units. Right, I, wa- I, wa- I want to pause there, right? Because we've, we've got lots of numbers and, and things <laughs> like that. So, uh, AU, one AU, one astronomical unit, is the distance from uh, the Sun to the Earth. And it turns out that 1.5 AU is indeed the distance between the Sun and Mars, approximately. Some, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. So they've got that right. Now... I had a problem with the whole thing. There's a there's something the the the, um, the hyperfield which is bigger than than um, the distance from uh, Sun to Mars. Yeah, yeah. I think right? I know where you're going with this. Yeah, go on. And that's two hundred and thirty thousand kilometers, roughly, right? So how are they going to stand? Oh well, they're going to stand two hundred kilometers from that thing. Okay, got that. Ah, okay, that wasn't where I thought you were going. Yes, but no, yes, but it's, it's two hundred thousand kilometers from yeah, the from, edge of from the, the field. All right, yeah. but this thing is huge, and it has one point three gravitational presence, which I guess is the the the, 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 the gravitational forces of the sun. So. I pinged our resident astronomer and I said, right, so let's imagine there's a huge mass, a massive thingy and then there's Discovery, which is about r- roughly, you know, uh, at the distance of um, between Earth and Mars compared to, to the Sun. Wouldn't Discovery be pulled by the, the gravity? And he said, yeah, definitely. It should have, it shouldn't be staying there without you know seemingly no impulse or no no engine it should have fell into the 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 hyperfield so that that was um that was my my biggest concern i, I was wondering <coughs> if they had everything else right and they did uh they had but but not not this thing Th- this is a classic case of giving too much information away yes. i think yeah, because where they're going uh, into that much detail, you are going to have people who are well. Some people are just going to go, whatever, techno babble. Other people are actually going to look into this, like you know, sad people like you. <laughs> so I can only presume that where Burnham has ordered Detmer to hold position at two hundred thousand kilometers, that they're having to put some kind of effort to stay there. Yeah. So exactly. they probably do have engines running or something that is pushing against the gravitational force of the hyperfield. Yes. So what our resident astronomer uh, suggested is that he's going to compute the time necess- uh, needed for 
discovery to plunge into the Alpha field. So maybe by the end of this episode, we'll have an answer. I don't, you know, if it takes like a few years, then okay, with a, we, we can imagine that uh, discovery can stand uh, where it is without too much problem. But it's, if it's a question of hours, or, then uh, yeah, I guess there's a little problem. But hey, it's a show. It's good. They've got everything else right. So, I, yeah, I, I, I was just, I just wanted to be picky on this. Uh, you know, no, and that, that is completely your right to do. Yeah. Because um, I, I thought you were going to be going down the uh, the perception, uh, the size perception th- yeah, thing. That too. Where <clears throat> we were looking at discovery, we were looking at the hyperfield, if they were 250,000 kilometers away from the edge of the hyperfield, then yes. they were just short of 500,000 kilometers from the center of the hyperfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Therefore, we shouldn't have been able to see Discovery. No. Because Discovery no, would have the, been comparatively tiny. Yeah, and they, they probably shouldn't, we shouldn't be able to see anything except like a big you know, full view screen of metal or whatever the, the hyperfield is made of. Which we could see. Yeah, but we could see... Oh, the, oh sorry, the, the, actually, the, that might be a spoiler. But yes, we, we, we were able to see it, yes. But we we could see the whole shape of the mm. thing, the, the ovoid shape, shape of the thing, which is... Yes. Something. But anyways, yeah. Mm. Too much correct information and one tiny bit of wrong information. Yeah, they, you know, if they had everything wrong, then... The, might almost have been better for them. But anyway, good job. But they've put the the, effort in. Yes, they did. did. Give give them that, yeah. Yeah, I give. I give them. Mm. I give them. Burnham asks Lieutenant Christopher if the Tennessees have responded to hails, and he reports that there is still nothing. Burnham orders him to keep hailing on all frequencies. Commander Reese wonders if they should raise shields, but Burnham feels this would signal threat or aggression. That's not the first time we hear this. It's um, standard practice as far as yeah. I'm aware. I've heard it yeah. on all of the series that I've seen so far across the whole of Star Trek. Yes. They apply the same logic. You, you yes. put shields up, it's a sign of aggression. Indeed. She then asks Owashikun if there are any weapons detected, but is informed that there are none. In fact, no changes to the hyperfield at all. It was like the Tensies didn't even know they were there. Panam then turns to Redux, saying the first contact team should implement their contingency plan. Redux points out that the message being sent was vetted by all the delegates, but Panam counters that, logically speaking, if the Tensi wanted to acknowledge them, they would have already. She then reminds the president that they have 15 hours before United Earth and Niva begin to feel the effects of the DMA. If heading wasn't working, they needed to try something new. Rilak finally concurs. I disagree, I disagree with Burnham when she says that if they uh, wanted to acknowledge them, they would have already. Maybe they, ha- they had. Maybe they s- simply couldn't see it. I've, I've just been reminded of a quote, and I can't remember who said it. Uh, oh, it might... I think it might have been Spock that said it, uh, original series Spock, that you cannot answer a question until you know what the question is. Yeah. And this is a very similar situation. They've already d- established that they don't know what they're dealing with. They yes. don't know what the communication is. 
they don't know anything. And they've gone into this scenario not knowing anything. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I agree with you, Yannick. That wow. statement, yeah, yeah. Episode 12, make a note. That <laughs> statement by Burnham is ignorant. Yes. Yes. Yes, let's go with ignorant. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kelber reports to the first contact team that they had collected 16 complex hydrocarbon compounds from the dead 10C homeworld, each corresponding to a different emotional state. Terror, love, sadness, curiosity, peacefulness, etc., etc. Dr. Irai points out that uh, the last, uh, uh, the last has been the one. No, sorry. Dr. Irai points out the last, so peacefulness, as being the one that concerns them now. Their contingency plan involved using that particular hydrocarbon to start communication. Basically, we come in peace, as he puts it, and asks if someone from science is putting it together. Sarah confirms that uh, Stamets has replicated the hydrocarbon and is deploying it in a fleet of .23s to distribute it on the surface of the hyperfield. General Andoye is concerned, as this would mean moving closer to the hyperfield to deploy the dots. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, of course. (laughs) And the radiation of the hyperfield would affect the warp core, which would make it harder to retreat if the Tensi attack. Saru concedes that the power drain, while small, will be statistically significant, which doesn't mean anything, but why not? <laughs> and they questions the prudence of such risk, but Irai points out that they wouldn't get a different response without a different input. And given the Tensi's technological capabilities, there was no guarantee they would be able to evade any attack even at full warp. Basically, we're here now. What have we got to lose? Yes, basically. So, Irai was right. Um, if you don't give a, a different input, you won't get a, a different output, right? Um, but I'm not sure his argument that, you know, we um, we don't know if we could escape anyway, so let's go in. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um it's always more dangerous or generally more dangerous to get closer to something that can hurt you, right? Even if where you are, you might not escape, going nearer reduces your chance, your chances of uh, escaping. Yes, but the one that attacks first always has the upper hand. Yes. So if if they do get closer and the 10C think, whoa, hang on a second, we don't like this, and start firing out species 10C uh, proton torpedoes, then Discovery is going to be hit before they have even had a chance to respond and react to it. Yeah. In theory. Do you think if uh, 10Cs add uh, photon torpedoes, there will be standard, you know, galactic issue photon torpedo like on every every spaceship with the standard we've, parts yeah we've already mm. established that there was standard parts so maybe we're outside the galaxy maybe they have uh, some some kind of variant different supplier maybe it's a free market mm. Mm. maybe amazon are in uh, in that part of the galaxy Ooh. Now. what's the uh tld for uh <laughs> tensies have <laughs> dot ten c dot ten c Alexa, right, buy said, some photon, to- photon torpedoes. 
<laughs> Let me try that. No, no, no. Alexa? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Cancel order. <laughs> Saru then asks Stamets if he's ready to proceed. He and Ansin Adira Tal are loading the hydrocarbons into the dots, and he reports 11 more to go. As they work, Zora voices concern that something has felt off for the past several hours, but she has been she has been able to she hasn't been able to find any irregularity in her systems. When Adira asks if this wasn't a good thing, Zora agrees it would be, but she remains convinced something is unaccounted for in some part of her system, and wants to make sure that nothing will impact the mission, given its importance. Adira thinks talking to Kerber would help, and Stamets agrees. Once they were done working, the last one of the dots are deployed. Deploy! So we're back to what I was saying last week, mm. is that the, the patch wouldn't be detected by Zora immediately, because it's not like there's a sensor that suddenly does reports a fault. It's just that there's no more sensor. So she's not aware of the problem. She's just aware that there's something that doesn't feel like it should. And I still don't buy this. All right. Now, you know, t- take the human form as an example. If you're walking around and you have a spider on your back, Ew. you would not know this. Unless that spider made its presence known. Yes. Okay. That's kind of what's happened here. If you're walking around and suddenly your hand disappears, you would know. You wouldn't know what necessarily, but you would know something is off, which is kind of what Zora is is concerned about here. But in your brain, you know you should have a certain number of hands, certain number of fingers, certain number of feet, certain number of legs. And if you don't, then that would be an indication that something is, is, is definitely wrong here. So although Zora has been numbed to a certain, well, to quite a large perspective, because she's unable to detect a stuffing great ship uh, <laughs> attack, basically a large spider on her back. Yeah. See, I knew that analogy would come back full circle. Uh-huh. On a belly, technically. Yeah. But she should know that that sensor should be there and operating. (laughs) I No, because if the patch made her forget about that, like like what you said, if you lose your hand, but if your brain suddenly doesn't remember that you should have a hand, then everything's okay. You don't have a hand. Yeah, okay, I'm not supposed to have a hand. So what this this patch has done then is it has made Zora blind to a part of her own fuselage. Yeah. It has made Zora blind to the presence of the patch itself, and it's made Zora blind to the fact that the bit that has actually been masked never existed. Yes. Sorry, not blind to it. She's she's not aware of the fact that it ever yes. existed. Yes. Does that seem likely? No. Especially in, in, in that <laughs> tiny little box that has just been, you know, stuck under a <laughs> cupboard. But yeah, no. But it, it is it is what uh, uh, actually happened. Yeah. Oh, I, I know. I get that. 
Yes. All right. Um, More steamed bananas, no. please. <laughs> back to the, the, the steamed bananas. <laughs> back, back to the dots. When they were being deployed, um, Adira was, yeah, sending them, flipping her, their fingers up uh, and the dots were uh, flying. It was funny to, to see that the dot actually raised their head and, and, and tightened their arms to, to fly outside. As if they were being fired out of a cannon, for yes. example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which for robots is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's strange, but it has, it has been, I found that strange ever, ever since, uh, ever since I think, uh, the first time I realized that was, uh, Star Wars episode one, when they fight the droids and the droids are moving and are actually looking at each, each other when they're speaking to each other, which is, it doesn't make any sense, but. No, no, it doesn't. So a lot of that is for fan service, yeah, for sure. but yeah, yeah. But the 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 characteristics with it, we've we've always marvelled ever since we discovered the dots yeah. that their their character is is quite something. It's quite advanced. It makes them almost life forms. Yeah, makes them likable. Yes, and missable. Yes, like when that one that went out there to investigate the the DMA. Yeah. It got basically disintegrated in space. Mm-hmm. And what they could hear on the over the intercom on the bridge of discovery was the dot screaming. Yeah. More on that later. Oh. Meanwhile, about Booker's ship attached attached under the port nacelle pylon, Commodore Reno commands commands not commands. She, she cannot command anything for where she's from there. Where she is, comments on how she never knew being kidnapped would be so boring. <laughs> and she was <coughs> tapping on the fourth field. Uh, I get, I get that. I understand that. Taka corrects her by saying she was just temporarily detained. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great difference. Mm. But Reno dismisses the semantic potato potato. Booker is apologetic for both of them. Well, he tried, but Taka was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Taka has reviewed the intel Ndoye provided from the Tensi homeworld. The Tensi know what it's like to lose their world, and yet they created the DMA, something Booker is unsure what to feel about. Taka points out that it only mattered what Discovery would do with the data and how to get them inside the hyperfield, preferably before they were detected. Reno, deadpan as always, comments that her blood sugar was getting low and asked for black licorice. Booker asks Taka how long he needed to stop the DMA, and the scientist replies it depends on the location of the power source and what defenses it had. Basically, he doesn't know. Not a clue. <laughs> Not a clue. As Booker is at the replicator, pointing out that they had 15 hours to stop it before it destroyed Earth and Niva, Reno slips a spare com badge out uh, from, her un- from under her uniform, Slipping it back in before Booker returns, offering her the licorice. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. What a clever cat this mm. one. Literally an ace up her sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah but um, Taka didn't seem to be really apologetic about uh, about the situation. Don't know, don't know if Booker noticed that, but... Not yet. Not yet. No, I know, but he will. <laughs> very, very vividly. <laughs> mm. Discovery closes to within a 1,000 meters of the hyperfield. 
Come on. When 1,000 meters of, of massive thing like that? 1,000 yeah. meters? It could be that kilometers. That can't be right. That's like next door. No. Yeah. One kilometer. Yeah. I don't remember what they said in the episode. But even 1,000 kilometers with a, such a massive thing, the gravitational forces would be so immense that they, they just couldn't stand there. And, I'm and sure the that's... That I mean, should be 1,000 kilo, uh, kilometers, not 1,000 meters. But, but anyways, the dots, yeah. they, were, they were touching it almost. Well, we're going to come to that. But. Yes, yes. So Discovery closes to within 1,000, uh, choose your unit, of the hyperfield. And Lieutenant Commander Nielsen reports the hydrocarbons are loaded and the dots are ready. Okay, then. Let, let them rip, Burnham orders. <laughs> the dots are deployed spraying the surface of the hyperfield with the hydrocarbons. Right, that's that's where I, I have... Well, I have a problem. I had a problem before. But the dots just couldn't be there. If if this thing is as big as uh, 1.5 AU and with the same gravitational forces as the sun, it's just not possible. But anyway... No. They'd have to be propelling themselves against the force of the gravity, but yeah. also the surface of the hyperfield would be like a grain of sand. Yeah, from a from a size perspective, mm-hmm. these these dots will be minuscule, spraying minuscule quantities of hydrocarbons onto a very yeah. minuscule part of the hyperfield. But given that the dots were almost touching the surface, I guess it's it is one thousand meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from it that they were. Anyway, did you mm. notice when the dots were uh, di- uh, dispatched, they almost, you know, were joyful. There, there was a, a sound <laughs> which was probably a, a mechanical sound. Yeah. But yeah, they did something <laughs> like that, like a wee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love the dots. At first, there seemed to be no response. Then. As both Discovery's crews and Booker and Tucker watch, the hyperfield surface begins to ripple like a stone dropped into a pound. Oshikun reports an energy spike from the hyperfield surface, and something begins to approach the dots. Panam orders Nielsen to pull them back, but the hyperfield effect is too fast and pulls all of the dots inside. And once again, they were screaming, poor little things. Redak notes that they now have uh, seem to have the tense's attention. Burnham orders a red alert. Oshikun reports another energy spike, a massive one this time, and Burnham orders Detmer to get them away at maximum warp. But the hyperfield effect catches them before they can escape. Disabling oh. engines, weapons, and shields. Then Discovery, with Booker's ship along for the ride, is pulled inside the hyperfield. What? What? Woof. Wow. Woof. Yeah. Well, well that's that, the question that, about how they're going to get through it. Yes. But I guess <laughs> that's what happened when you get close, uh, too close to the sun. Yes. You, you get burned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, lessons, lesson learned. Or maybe not. Not? No. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> so, yeah, they're in. Good job. No, no, they need to figure out uh, how to get out. Yeah, now, <laughs> exactly. A... Now what? Yeah, now what? That we're in. Right. So let's let's recap, right? 
they came here, didn't know what they were uh, expecting, what they were going to find. They, well, they knew about the hyperfield, I guess, if, if I remember correctly, a few episodes, uh, a few episodes ago. Yes. So they find this hyperfield, but they don't know anything about the Tensi. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know if they can communicate, right? And so they get close to the, the this thing, and now they're absorbed inside, and they still don't know squat. <laughs> That's a pretty good summary. Yeah, okay, good. I, I was afraid I, I had missed something. But no, no, I think you've, no, you've okay. pretty much got it, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's move to Act 1. Pelham asks for a status report. Lieutenant Linus reports the ship is encased in an unknown membrane, uh, some kind of orb. Rich reports basic life support is working, but all engines and defensive systems are disabled. So, how can uh, how does that work? Because, I mean, I understand that um, uh, weapons, engines, and life support are not on the same whatever system they are, network, whatever thingy. But that I can I can understand that if there's a, f- a failure inside the ship, right? Yeah. But, the tensies they just stop the engines and the shields and the weapons, but not life support? Right. See, that's pretty much it. <clears throat> They've selectively disabled some of the things that they know would be of detriment to them. But they've kept a, kept on the thing that they knew would be of detriment to the crew of Discovery if they switched it off. That implies... Yeah they know something about the technology that Discovery is carrying. Yeah. And I don't see how that can be the case. No, me neither. Because if they know how to disable, selectively disable systems, then they should be able to send a message on the computer and say, hello, you there. <laughs> I mean, you know, basic hello world. Right? All, all your starships are belong to us. <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> Your technological, technological and biological distinctiveness will be assimilated. Oh no, that's not. That's the wrong one. That's not. Uh, it's a trap. Yeah, <laughs> Pull up the masks. We are not the densies. We are the Borg. <laughs> gotcha. Ah. Our second reports there was a solar system with three gas giants of identical mass and composition, and that the orb they were encased in was taking them to one of those planets, like a bug in a jar, as Nielsen puts it. Panama orders Christopher to get Stamets and his team to work on finding a way to restore their systems. Well, yeah, I think they didn't, they maybe didn't think about that uh, already. How how can you restore systems when you know nothing about the reason why the systems aren't working in the first place? Yes. It's not like they've just been tripped, so just switch them back on again. Yeah. Also, how is the bridge still working? How how can they have um, diagnostics, communications between bridges and stuff? It's tied into life support? I don't know. I don't know either, but... Yeah, that that that, that part is a bit uh, 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 unbelievable. Well, <laughs> Very <it's>, much so. <laughs> uh, all right. So, no, that's not the correct command I wanted to type in the chat. 
All right, that's the, the right command I wanted to type in the chat. All right, okay. Alone in one of the corridors, Andoye contacts Booker. His ship's engines and defenses are offline as well. Andoye explains what happened, and Booker asks if Zora has detected them yet. The general is unaware, but will look into it. Taka has detected the DMA's power source on the far edge of the hyperfield, encased in a silicon elenium alloy. Whatever elenium is, don't know. If they could breach that, they could just put it out. Booker asks Andoye to keep them posted, and also asks about Burnham. Andoye replies she is scared, uh, same as the rest, but is better at hiding it. Taka begins to prep the transporter for obtaining the power source, but Booker puts him to work on figuring out how to get out of the orb they were. But Booker puts him to work on figuring out how to get out of the orb they were first, while Booker tries to bring up the ship's system. As the two work, Reno pulls her combat from her sleeves and tries to use the licorice she has been chewing to get the device to work. Mm-hmm. Ew. But that didn't work. Well, it sparked a... and, and crackled yeah. a bit. Yeah. I have to say, I didn't really understand uh, what the licorice was for at, at the point. But N- No, the I'm, the I'm guessing some kind of chemical reaction. Maybe acting as a, a battery for the com badge. I don't know. I don't know. We, we, well, we, we know because we've seen the episode. But mm. Spoiler. Yeah, so at, at this point, I think it's around about here that we've seen Reno look very suspiciously at Tarka. Yes. And I have a feeling that she has spotted something that she's not happy with. Now, bear with me a second, because I know there's a lot that's going on that she's not happy with. But specifically... <laughs> Specifically, she spotted something that makes her believe that Tarker is not pursuing the course of action that he maintains that he is. Yes, that that's that's what I'm picking up from from Reno. Yeah, and also I I I thought Tarker was um, it was he he was uh, annoyed by the results he was computing. I think mm. uh, it seems to me like that. Right. Yes. So I got a response from uh, Andrew, our uh, resident astronomer, who said, if a spaceship was stationary at the same distance from the sun as the Earth, but not near the Earth, then it would fall into the sun in 65 days. So I guess we could, you know, they could probably use a little bit of engine or propulsion to to stay there. Sorry, say that again. So if you're saying that there's an object... Halfway between the sun and earth. Uh, if a spaceship was stationary at the same distance from the sun as the earth. Right. right? But not near the earth. Gotcha. So so the, the gravitational pull of the earth was Wouldn't not affect there. Wouldn't affect it, yep. Then it would fall into the sun in 65, 65 days. 65 days, right. So whatever force is currently being applied to the earth, presumably as a result of its orbit. Yes. Uh, is generating equilibrium against the force of gravity of the sun. Yes. Well, that's why we are in a captive orbit and not wandering in space. Right. So if that wasn't there... We'd fall into the sun. In 65 days. In 65 days, yes. Right. So that's not... No, what am I talking about? That is incredibly quick. Yeah. (laughs) That is incredibly quick. Yeah, so we know and we now know how to end the world. We just have to stop the Earth 
from from uh, orbiting, and then in sixty five days, every well, I guess before that, I'd say in ten that. days. Yeah, because <laughs> we'll be slow roasted over the over the first few days. <laughs> oh, slow roasted! Mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. Nice. Mm. It's gonna hurt like hell, but it's gonna smell gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, back to our episode. Deathmare reports the orb has stopped moving in the upper upper layers of the planet's atmosphere, and Oshikun's scanner show hundreds of life signs all around them, which is consistent with what they figured out in last episode, that they were living, um, they were floating. Yes. Yes. Good point. Continuity. Check. Reese also reports that they were being scanned every millimeter of the bridge. Yes. Lack of security. Again. Yeah. Panam asks for an update on restoring systems and Nielsen relays from engineering that everything they've had tried has failed. The orb is keeping their systems powered down. Except life Just support. Then, except life support, communication, internal communication, lights. Screens. Well, lights yeah. life support. Yeah. So, yeah. Toilets. That's life support. I suppose it would be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just then, Saru calls Burnham for a first contact discussion. Burnham gives the, com- the con over to Reese and instructs him to report any changes. I wouldn't like to be Reese at this moment. <laughs> no. This, this is not the moment I, uh, I would choose to be acting captain. The, the sad thing about it is, this is probably the moment that Reese has been waiting for his entire life. Yes, I'm going to be in command of a starship <laughs> on the way to certain mm. death. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Meanwhile, Stamets explains Zora's concern to Kelber. But even after he's checking the logs and Zora running diagnostics, they can't find, they can't find the issue. Kelber thinks that getting to the root, the root cause of a feeling might be helped by focusing on the feeling itself, and promises to talk to her. Stamets sees Kelbert has something on his mind, and the doctor admits he keeps, he keeps thinking about what he left on the Tensi homeworld, the feeling of peace, calm, comfort, something he had not felt in a long time. Stamets has to get back to work with Adira and the team, but promises when it will all be over, they were taking a vacation, just the two of them. As Stamets transports back to engineering, Kelbert gets started with Zora, suggesting the trill board game she had played with Grey, as it had it had it it, yeah, it had helped her before. That's yes, three it had. words with H's. I know. It had helped her before. <laughs> By the end of the third word, I don't have any air left in my lungs. <laughs> Yes. Uh, English is, is, is hard. English is hard for an Englishman, let alone for uh, for a, a Swiss, <laughs> Swiss French guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Mm. Yeah, so it's the second time, second episode um, uh, that, that Kilbert realizes, well, actually talks about the fact that he's not right. So to me, it's the first step in, in the, the way to um, feeling better. Completely. Absolutely. Self-awareness probably is, the is a huge part yeah, of the recovery the process. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry, sorry, microphone. I didn't mean <laughs> to do that. But I'm, I'm really 
enjoying the fact that they are treating Zora as though she is a tangible member of the crew. Yeah. So using the same things that possibly would have worked with other crew members, particularly something that has helped Zora previously, again, is is great. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Mm. It, it's a bit freaky, though, uh, especially uh, near the end of the episode. It's, it's not really relevant, so I'm not, I, I can't spoil that. At some point in the episode, um, uh, Burnham says to Saru, Zora should not come with us, though. Yes. I mean, she's a computer. She's not going anywhere. But it's the same thing as one or two episodes ago when she said, Zora, meet me in, meet in, me in the, ready in the room. conference yes. room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they are actually treating her as a person, though she's a lot more than that. Well, right. it is a lot more than that. Right. There's There was a, a moment... Uh, it's it's next week's episode, actually. There is a moment where Burnham says to Zora, can you please join us in Shuttle Bay? Yes. Now, again, great. Nice to be included. Nice to be treated as part of the crew. What makes you think she's not there already? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) She is. But she is, because if at that moment, instead of saying, Zora, can you join us in the Shuttle Bay, she had said, Zora, you know, sing me a song. Zora would have. Uh, we've because had that. Because she is there. Yeah, we have that. Yeah. 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 Oh, in, so, fa- in fact, and again, this isn't a spoiler. So it, again, this is in next week's episode. It's not a spoiler. But a very similar thing happened, but it was actually Zora that instigated it. Zora said, I shall join you in a moment. Yes. And then suddenly her little circle with the, yeah. the bars appeared mm-hmm. just above their heads. I'm like... yeah. What an entrance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In the conference room, Rilak wonders why the Tensi would bring them in, scan them extensively, and then not communicate with them. Sarah speculates that perhaps the Tensi were trying to understand their technology before proceeding. Good point. How, um, and something that everyone should be doing, you know. Yeah, on the Federation totally. included. Mm. <laughs> Instead of, you know, Jumping on the wall and say, hey, we're the Federation, we're the good guys. (laughs) Yeah. However, Tirina curtly dismisses speculation as being of little use and that they they required answered. Ouch! Burn! Burn! You can see that was like a dagger to Saru's heart. Yeah. He was was visibly shocked by that. Well, I I would have been. Yeah. She was, she was really the, the thing that's going on between them. Yeah, this was really hard. Mm. But there again, this is the professional side of the relationship rather than the personal side of it. So yeah, when you're in this scenario, personal feelings shouldn't be taken into no. account. And we have a, an explanation later on by uh, Burnham. Yes. Burnham Burnham theorizes that perhaps the 10C were using a communication frequency they couldn't detect. <coughs> Sorry. But Hirai thinks that perhaps the 10C is waiting for them to communicate a sense of purpose. Their initial attempts conveyed only their lack of threat, not their intent. Undoye does not see diplomacy as an option while they were held prisoner. Nah, well, I 
get I get the point. Yeah. Are they being held prisoner? Now, I know That's, that they got pulled in by the orb into the hyperfield and they're being held there, but they have put themselves in that scenario to be taken in by the 10C. So I, I can't agree with Ndoye that they are being held prisoner because they have they want to be there. No, yes. want, want's not the right word. They have to be there. Also, we don't know if maybe there was some kind of danger outside and the Tensi put them in to protect them. That's totally reasonable. We don't know. Mm. So maybe they're not prisoners. Maybe they saved their life. The Tensi saved the, 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 ship's, uh, the crew's life. Who knows? I like that suggestion. While relaxes communication as their only option, the general counters by pointing out that they had no idea how to get to the tens- how to get the Tensi to speak to them. Burnham has an idea, falling back on Federation tradition of offering gifts during first contact, and recalls that Stamet has collected some boronite from the site where the first DMA imploded. Iraya warns that gift giving was culturally complex and that the Tensi might not perceive it at how they intended. Another good point. Mm. However, it is the only thing they know the Tensi are after, and Burnham sees, sees that as their only option. Another good point. Another good point. Mm. Tirina asks how it could be offered, and Burnham suggests beaming, beaming it directly onto the orb membrane, which had been sized to fit their ship. She believes it had to have sensor capabilities. The team agrees. So the transporter's working. Yes, that's that's mm-hmm. where I, I, I yeah we we are back to having a problem that they have sensors they know what can hurt and what doesn't hurt the uh, the crew they can disable selectively some very complex systems of the of, uh, of the of discovery but they are unable to send um, one hundred and eighty character texts so eh? <laughs> yeah. You know oh, I mean? excellent. You know, we had multiple examples in the original series, I think, um, maybe in, in, in TNG, of entities using the screen of the computers to write messages like hello and things like that. And the Tensi seems to be a very intelligent uh, species, but apparently not. But they're also extragalactic. That's the issue yes. here is that... Every every alien race that has interacted with any of the Star Trek crew, the Starfleet crew, or Federation crew, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, um, have been of the same galaxy. So f- up to a point, they understand the rules, they understand the physics, they understand the galacticics of of how things work, but they're extra galaxy now they're outside of the milky way they have zero concept of how things work out there i know there was the joke was it last week where culber said at least you know the laws of physics work out here yeah but even you can't say that's true necessarily so the problem is like the discovery screens are ntsc and the tenses use power a panel right yeah all right okay (laughs) <laughs> get that okay 
if, if anybody wants that joke explained, then you know, write to us and let us know. We'll give you details at the end of the show. Well, if you don't get that joke, then you're too young. And you're, oh, if you don't get that joke, why are you listening to this show? <laughs> you get geek points taken away from you. Yes, and, and your geek card. <laughs> About this ship, Booker is unable to bring systems back online. Tucker assures him not to worry, as the systems would come back once he broke them out of the orb. When a night spray is what a night a night spray yeah when a night spray is done nesting, there only one way. To, there's only one way to leave the 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 <laughs> chatpat chatpat yeah, yeah let's go with chatpat as he puts it. I have no idea what that is, but. There is a link. I'm tempted to click on the link, but I'm, I won't. <laughs> Reno quietly asks Booker why he's teaming with Taka, who she thinks is a couple cherries short of a Sunday. <laughs> well, such an awesome phrase. Yes, indeed. Booker replies that Taka had made a promise to return to someone, something Booker could respect. He mentions his mentor, the original Booker, who, well, um, uh, yes, but, um, no, Cleveland Booker. Yes, the full name. Who believed the measure of someone was in how they honored their promises. When Renault points out the confusing nature of sharing a name, Booker replies that first trust meant ed- everything in the courier world and that the name had a reputation for trust as it was passed down through the generations. His mentor has been the fourth in the line and passed the name and clients to the current booker when he retired, making him the fifth. Reno asks if the previous booker would have approved of a man like Tarka, and Booker replies that he would have understood him. Reno tells him that when her wife died during the Klingon War, she needed a focus, so she joined the USS Ayawata. When they crashed, there was an insane who had been horribly burned and begged Reno to let him go, but Renault felt it, ha- it was her duty to keep him alive and kept replicating skin grafts. It took 11 days for the insane to die, and when he finally did, Renault saw his eyes were the same shade of green as those of her late, late wife, and that was why she couldn't let him go, not because of him, but because of herself. She points out that Booker and Taka have made dubious choices, <laughs> really, <laughs> because they were both in pain and couldn't see it. Booker can see that she's trying to play on his emotions, but Renault counters that even if so, it didn't mean she was wrong. And she was right. That she was not wrong. Yeah. See what I did there? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Booker turns away from her and asks Taka when they would be free of the orb. Soon, is the only answer. Meaning, I don't know squat. And no, he doesn't. Uh, no. No. This was a lovely scene. Yes. It really was, because although Reno has mentioned her wife a few times, I don't think we've ever had any indication of, of the kind of person she was or anything about their life together before the um, the USS Hiawatha. But to have this little little bit of insight into, into Reno, who has been very much a closed book for us mm-hmm. in the time that we've known her, is really nice. It is. I'd, I'm not sure it went through with Booker, um, but yeah, uh, it was uh, it from a, a character development standpoint. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a nice episode, mm. a, a nice uh, 
a nice scene. Yeah, definitely. And we got to see a very serious Reno for once. Not the usual... Uh, how can I put that? Uh, uh, deadpan. Uh, yes, uh, deadpan. Yeah, Dead, deadpan yeah. humor. Yeah, Dead, deadpan humor. Yeah, that for once she was uh, she was re- really serious. Sarah reports the Borough Knight was away, but still no response. Ndoye tells Burnham she respects her ability to adapt to the situation, but believes a soldier had to accept when they hit a wall because that was when the real hard choices had to be made. Burnham concedes that she had once believed there was no wall, but her experience as a starship captain has shown her otherwise. However, she does not believe they've hit a wall yet. Zora then reports a change in the orb membrane, membrane near the shuttle bay. Burnham, Saru, Rilak, Tirina, Andoye, and Irai make their way to the shuttle bay, where Saru can see a life form approaching. From their vantage point, Booker and Taka can see it as well. As the first contact team awaits, a massive form can be seen within the cloud layers. Seems, seems they've decided to say hello, Burnham concludes. Ooh. Now, I don't know how... I think it's Saru who said, something is coming, it's a life form. How How can he decide that... Well, how can he um, see that it's a life form? Right. I, um, I don't think he could. Nah, I don't think he could either. He was probably speculating, but didn't want to be shouted at by Tarina again. <laughs> so he stated probably. it as a fact. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> and with that, it's the end of Act 1. Which is... Uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not going to say half of the episode, but I'm pretty sure we're not that far from half of the episode. Yeah, I think you're probably right, actually. Uh, yeah. All right, let's move to Act 2. Irai's scan show that the Tensi has visual receptors and pheromone glands, but can't tell whether it has auditory receptors or electrical sensors. Its brain structure was widely unusual, which means the universal translator will not be helpful. No, really? I mean, if someone had told them that earlier, that... Oh, wait, someone I'm did. sure somebody had mentioned that at least five times before yeah yeah so that those scans they can detect brain okay i guess i guess when you scan a creature and the part of them with all the electrical impulses things like that can be called the brain that i get but to identify a visual sense a visual receptor from from a scan how? Pattern matching is the only thing I could come up with. Yeah, I guess. They know what visual receptors should look like or what they should uh, be consistent of, uh, and they found a match in the makeup of that particular species. Yeah. That, that's all I had. Yeah. But they were careful to call them visual receptors and not eyes. So that's a good... That's yeah, a, yeah. I guess that's a, that's a plus. Zora reports the being was excreting a mist of large organic molecule clusters, and her scans indicate it matches the hydrocarbons found on their homeworld. When Saru asks which ones, Zora reports it it was a mixture of 25% joy, 22% sadness, 17% peacefulness, 14% irritation, 12% surprise, and 10% fear. And I got 100% of... What? 
Yes. Yeah, six of the emotional states they know the tendency to have expressed. Andrea thinks it's nonsensical, while Tirina believes they were trying to convey each feeling at once. Just then, the tendency begins emitting a pattern of light along its form, which Balan believes is believes to be a form of communication. As it flashes again, Zora agrees, as the light pattern was identical the second time. Irai thinks that the hydrocarbons provide emotional context to the light patterns and suggest mirroring the lights back to them. It would show that Discovery understood understood this as a means of communication, and from there, they would have to find a way to convey simple, then more complex, thoughts. Andoya thinks it will be a long process, and Irai concedes it can be. As Burnham instructs Zora to relay the pattern back to the Tensi, Andoya leaves to make contact with Booker. Not very discreet? No. I may say so? No, because she just turned and walked away. Yeah. It wasn't like she tried to sneak out or hide behind something and then disappear from there. She just turned around and walked out. Like, is she going? Yeah. Yeah. In, in the middle of a first contact. Not even a, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom or something. No. (laughs) No, no. Now, did that scene remind you of a movie from the, I guess, 70s? I didn't check, but... If I said... Yes, exactly. Close Encounters, yeah. The Close Encounters, yeah, of the third Uh type. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, very, very, very similar. The, the whole thing reminded me of that. But it was a good movie, so why not, you know, take a few things from it? Well, why not? Booker observes what was going on at the shuttle bay, but Taka believes it doesn't matter. And they contact... Well, hold on a second. They can see the orb, which means the front of their ship is pointed toward the front of Discovery. So how can they also see what's happening in the shuttle bay, which at that moment is behind them? Uh, I am going to suggest that that's the patch in action. Because if you remember two episodes ago, when they went in to put the patch in in the first place, they were tapping into uh, visual feeds around the ship. So my guess is that whatever visual feeds are available for within the shuttle bay on Discovery, um, Book and Targa still have okay. access to. Okay. It's a guess. It's <clears throat> speculation. Okay. Take that, Tarina. <coughs> Where was I? Uh, yes. The Booker. And then he contacts Booker and tells him the situation. The translators don't work. Oh, no! Communication has to start from scratch, and they have 12 hours before the DMA reaches Earth. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Taka thinks it will not take that long, but warns that they would need help pushing away from Discovery. It would ignite a plasma stream to burn a hole in the Tensi's home and use a reverse tractor beam to ripple them, to ripple them through. No engines required. Sounds perfectly safe to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds like, like an ad too, you know. Uh, you can do that. No engines required. Oh, everybody can do that. Then. All you need is a reverse tractor beam and a plasma and something to generate a plasma stream. Easy. Plan. Right. Did you ever do um, uh, science at school where you had these um, the, the gas taps for your Bunsen burner? 
Yes. Because one of the things we used to do as kids, and I say we, I didn't, of course I didn't, I was too good for that, is some people <laughs> would, um, would the the gas taps on like poles in the middle of the desks. Yes, yes. And they'd turn it on and just go, with a match. Yeah. <laughs> All the yeah. flames firing out, you know, setting fire to bags, books, people's legs and such like. Um, that's the first, when, when they were talking about igniting a plasma stream, that was the first thing I thought of. Yes, I, I can see the, 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 the image now in my, in my head. Yes. yes. <laughs> However, to do so, Endoye had to hack Discovery System to project the plasma stream from the standard nacelle. Endoye protest, saying that feeding information was one thing, but this was essentially betrayal. Well, General, we need to <laughs> brush you up on feeding information to the enemy, because yes. I'm pretty sure that's betrayal too. Espionage. Espionage, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Booker assures her they would stand down if diplomacy works, but at the moment they can't even say hello. He is confident, and Tuckett silently confirms, that this will stop the DMA and no one else needs to die. But they could not do it without Ndoye's help. The general finally caves and tells Booker to inform her when Tucker is ready. Booker transmits the override codes. Now, where, where did, you, did he get that? Uh, I d- they, don't know. Uh, does, there, there must be a public website with all the codes and security overrides and security holes and stuff like that because it's it's i mean this thing has more holes than a swiss cheese <laughs> says the swissman um yes no i, I, I record, think it's... for the record Gruyere doesn't have any holes in it that's emmental <laughs> just wanted to get them emmental that clear. Is, our emmental is amazing one of our favorite cheeses yes. here yeah but i I, th- I think that the it's not quite as um as as blasé as you you make it out to be. I think what they've got is in a corner of a file system somewhere, there's a text file with the words, nothing to see here in the name. <laughs> um, and you open that up and it's just literally a list of passwords. Yeah. Not to self, rename password.txt to something. <laughs> <laughs> something else. Nothing to see here.txt. <laughs> In the shuttle bay, Burnham believes once the light pattern is reflected, the Tensi will send a new signal and asks Saru to stand by for analysis. Analysis? Analysis? Potato, potato. <laughs> Zora reports she is ready and begins transmitting the pattern. The Tensi makes the same pattern again and then retreats. Irai theorizes that the Tensi may want them to actually answer back, not mimic. And Saru adds that the Tensi may not see them as sentient beings. Brillac points out that they warped there with a spaceship, but Iray contends that their technology was primitive compared to the Tensis, comparing the difference between a human and a monkey with a rock, which I found very insulting for the non-humans on this starship. But it, it was a generic comparison rather than specifically yeah, referring. Uh, yeah, which is which is the uh, insulting part, you know. Saru yeah. is not a human, and nor is Linus or many of them. So no, but here I is, and that's the only thing yeah, he can. Yeah. And it's not not particularly. Uh, what's the word? Nice to monkeys. No, 
I know that I know a couple of monkeys that are more intelligent than few people I know. Do they have rocks? Uh, no, but they might have sticks. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Ah, that's the that's the intelligent ones. Okay. Evolutionary advancements. All right, from rocks to sticks. <laughs> <laughs> from rocks to sticks and evolutionary evolutionary theory by David Lee. That would be a good good, good title for a book. Uh, the or a podcast series. Oh, podcast series, yes. Mm. Well, we don't know nothing about uh, evolution, evolution, which makes us very fitted to host a podcast about it. We know nothing about astronomy, and we manage all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are kept in check by our our good friend, uh, Andrew. So that's, our resident that's consultant. Yes. Unpaid. Oh, absolutely. But... <laughs> Well, I'm asked Zora to compare the pattern to Federation and non-Federation linguistic databases. Zora had, in fact, been doing so already, but had found no match. I like the, uh, the, the, the phrase Zora uses, like, great minds think alike. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but the thing is, though, Zora has a couple of thousand cores sitting idle. Yes. You've got to keep them busy somehow. Yes. The pattern did not seem to match any kind of linguistic analysis Irai was aware of either. Saru then suggests that since the hydrocarbon hydrocarbon I just this word I don't know why this word analysis I just it just how about I say mushroom instead hydrocarbon mushroom <laughs> no okay. <laughs> Saru then suggests that since the hydrocarbon analysis ha- had helped them reach this point, perhaps they should try it again. The, yeah, they should try using it again. Mm. But of course, Detmer, Nelson, and Christopher to the shuttle bay. Uh, brainstorming. That, there's a simple word for that. It's called brainstorming. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody is... Um, oh, what am I trying to say here? You can never have two many people if you're trying to brainstorm a problem. It doesn't matter whether they are um, incredibly intelligent uh, rocket scientists or whether they clean the toilets. There is always something that somebody can contribute to this kind of problem, particularly when the people, the professionals, the people that actually are supposed to be knowing this stuff haven't got a clue. Yes. Though I would would counter that you can have too many people if you have everyone at the same time. Like if you have 3,000 people, that's not going to be productive. But if you oh, get granted. small groups and that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. In Sigbet, Kerber sees that Zora's sine wave has stabilized, whatever that sine wave was for. And Zora agrees the game has helped. She admits she can't understand why she felt so distracted, but notes it happened around the same time as an apparent replicator malfunction Renault had fixed. Thank you for for the logs. Always keep logs of whatever you do. Yes. Always. Kerber tries to contact Reno, but is unable to contact her. Zora reports Reno is in engineering, and Kerber thinks she is helping Stamets try to break them out of the orb and leaves to go check. Why? Why go there to check and not call again? Um. Let me just check something well i know why that's because he's needed later on in engineering to find something but 
there was a moment, and I can't remember if it was here or later on, when Zora actually puts out a verbal call shipwide for Commander Reno. Later on. That's later. Okay. That's yes. fair enough then. So why why would he leave? I don't know. And why why do most of them just tap their combat to transport to wherever they want to go and he had to walk? Maybe he doesn't either. like Maybe transporter technology. He wouldn't be the Maybe. first. Yeah. He's got transportophobia. Mm, tra- transportophobia. Great word. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Zora is in multiple places. She is. Hmm. Which doesn't, which, you know, doesn't uh, go well with things like Zora join us in the conference room or something. Because, yeah, and then I'll also be in, in the bathroom and also be in the shower. <laughs> yes, yes. I suppose there has to be an element of trust there that Zora isn't going to be in the bathroom at the same time as you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hopefully. Yeah, you, you would, you would certainly hope not, but it's, it it is part of accepting Zora as a member of the crew. Yes. So it's, uh, it's not, it's, it doesn't, it, it must not be taken. uh, How do you say that? Uh, Literally. It's not like, join us there, and then you won't be anywhere else. It's just, okay, I I acknowledge that you're a member of the crew, so do as any other member of the crew. Do join us in the ready room, or in the whatever room. I suppose there's a difference between somebody being present in a room and somebody being having a presence in a room. So, you know, you could go into a meeting, and you'd have... Mm -hmm. Burnham, Relak, Vance, um, Kovic, Culber, whomever, around the same table. Mm-hmm. But Culber could be somewhere else in his mind. He could be yeah. completely somewhere else. He's not paying attention. He's not listening to what's going on. That might be the same, a similar thing with with Zora. Zora is there. If you if you if you went into um, the common room where the delegates were uh, were hanging out, and you said the word Zora. Little light would come on, little flashy blue, blue, little flashy blue ring, and she would pop up and say, "Yes, yes, yes." But agreed. But if she's not physically invited, it's it's like um, vampires. You have to invite. You have to invite <laughs> her in. I guess the difference is when they invite Zora in a room. There's the holographic thingy there mm. to say, "Okay, I'm 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 here," and it helps people. Talk to Zora. You know, it's it's easier to have a. It's like by instinct when I talk to the lady in the sphere, I look at the sphere, even though I don't have to because it's a sphere. Ah, uh, but do you look look at the sphere to make sure that it's heard you when you say the wake word? No, because it blips and beeps and and bloops when it answers. Beeps and blips and boops. Well, it does sound. Right, interesting. Because <laughs> the, the 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 hockey puck that I have, the uh, the Google one, uh, just a light comes on. That's it. It does go. Ah, well, my phone does. This one, but the, this one the, could be configured to be mm. silent. But oh, nice score, Dave. 
You just oh, I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not even appeared on my screen yet. I'm, I'm that far oh, late. Right. 74.48 points, right? Nice. If you want to, dear listeners, if you want to try and beat Dave at uh, the drop game, join us in on Twitch for the next recording. We'll tell you it later on. Just landed. <laughs> Back in the shuttle bay, Christopher remembers something he learned from one of his professors at Starfleet Academy. If a, if a problem stumps you, examine your assumptions. They've assumed, up to this point, that the hydrocarbon were only about emotions, but what if they were also language of some kind? Trudea wonders how, and Nielsen compares it to music, how a p- piano piece can evoke emotion, but it also has structure. Saru has Zora bring up a hollow of one of the molecules they received. Christopher thinks it's an encryption that requires a key and Detmer thinks the light pattern might be that key. Comparing it to a star map, a 2D rendering of a 2D rendering to help navigate 3D space, so perhaps the light pattern was a map to read the hydrocarbons in a specific order. As they speak, Ndoye quietly steps back into the mix. Mm-hmm, not suspicious at all. <laughs> Burnham asks Zora to bring up the light pattern, then as her create a 3D model. With a little manipulation, Burnham is able to fit the light pattern to the hydrocarbons. Irai asks to see the light pattern flashing again, and the lights correspond to certain area of the molecule. Burnham as Zora begin the analysis. Ooh. This is a a new discovery. Yes. Except it isn't. It isn't? The revelation that perhaps um, the lights modify or augment the hydrocarbons or vice versa. The fact that they may work together to provide something different is something that last week's episode was completely and totally all about. It was mentioned at least three times during that episode where there are two distinct languages that combine to make the third, and it's the third one that tells you what you need to know. So oh, all they're doing the, here, the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Stone. So all we're doing here is is taking the light pattern and the hydrocarbons, combining them together to make effectively the Ten Seas language. So why why this is yeah. a new thing? Why they've only just suddenly come up with the idea of combining the two bits of information together when they've been talking about it previously? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> no, it just seems not, weird. Not really. The, the, the Rosetta Stone was. The whole thing about that was to understand Egyptian, they needed to understand two other languages, and they had correspondence between one language and Egyptian and the other language. I don't remember. I don't remember mm. which one, uh, which language they were. And then they were able to to translate the hieroglyphs. Um, Here, it's not exactly the same. It's that this language has two components. It has the words. And then it has the lights, which essentially means you know, this is the world one, world two, world three, world four. So it's not exactly using two languages to build the third one. It's just two components of, of one language. It's the syntax and the grammar. But then what was the whole point of, of referencing the Rosetta Stone a number of times in last week's episode, if it wasn't oh. for the fact that we're, we're leading towards that kind of language manipulation here? 
it had absolutely nothing to do with what we're seeing this week. I agree. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they essentially needed to map the light to get the order of the words. Like, you, mm. you've got a big bag of words, and then you've got another big bag with which tells you uh, which which one is uh, the first one, second one, the third one. But the yeah, densities are really, really good because they managed to produce molecules, which are teeny, 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 tiny thingies, right? And match exactly the pattern with lights that can be emitted from that creature, which, you know, seems to be big. So, yeah, um, they're, they're really great. Or maybe the, the uh, 3D rendering were also very precise. Everything seems to be a little bit too precise and a little bit too easy, but... I understand. Yeah. It, we're one one episode before the the last one. They needed to speed that up a little bit. So yeah, they do that though. It's a common a common thing. You, you take yeah. your time getting somewhere, and then all of a sudden they just rush the rush, the ending of uh, it to 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 get mm. all the the questions answered. Yes, about this ship, Booker brings down the force field to hand Reno more black licorice. Renault suggests he be a gentleman and hand it over. As he steps forward, Renault grasps his arm and pulls him closer, saying that Taka was going to get them killed. She had seen his calculations. If he pulls the DMA power source while the DMA was still active, the hyperfield would implode, destroying everything and everyone in it. Not only that, the subspace rift it will leave near Earth will kill everyone there almost as fast as the DMA. Booker thinks it's a ploy to get him to release her, but Renault challenges him to ask Taka to show him the math. <coughs> or math with an S, depending on where you are in Ma- the maths. Yeah. The equations would not make sense to him, but the look on Taka's face would. Again, pointing out that pain blinded people and that Booker had to make it right. She sits back down, leaving Booker lost in thought. dun da da that's why she's so. That's what she's so. Yes. Now, the act of her sitting down again was, it was, I saw it as incredibly significant. Yeah, mic drop. That w- <laughs> okay, that wasn't where I was going, but yeah, totally. That was the, I've, I've, I've said what I've said my piece, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. But Booker said that this is just a ploy to, to get him to, uh, to let her go. Once she finished saying what she was saying, she released him because he had she had hold of his his arm, his elbow, and then backed backed up to the the place she was sitting and sat back down again. Yeah. Well, that to me says, "I'm still your captive. All right? yeah. I have no intention of escaping from this. I just wanted to say something. You've heard me. I'm going to go and sit back over there again." Well, if that didn't say, "Trust what I'm saying." Nothing did. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, if Taka destroys everything she and she thinks she they can't escape, so there's no way for, there's no reason for her to try and and um, escape this um, this jail and try to go back to Discovery because... Uh, what, what, what could she do? Yeah. And probably... Uh, she probably if, could if, do a lot. If Taka's plan works, Book's Ships is actually the safest place uh, at the moment. 
Uh, relatively if, speaking, yes. Yeah, relatively speaking, yeah. <laughs> because if, if the uh, hyperfield implodes, Discovery is going to be destroyed. So, so on to Act 3. In the shuttle bay, Zora believes she had decoded the molecule, assigning a letter to each individual hydrocarbon and putting them in order designated by the lights. The result appears to be a series of mathematical equations, which gets your eyes' attention. He sees that the initial order of the A hydrocarbon is larger than the next. Saru explains for Turina that the Tensi are teaching them a bridge language, similar to Linkos, a mathematics-based language developed on Earth that the 21st century organization METI predicted would be helpful in extraplanetary communication. Genuine uh, thing, by the way. Yeah. Everything is is true. Now, I have... I, I, I mean, Zora is pretty smart. Okay, I got that. But when I see A A A B A A, I don't immediately think, "Oh, that's three greater than two. So yeah, another shortcut, I guess. I suppose they have to simplify it because of the yeah, complexity yeah. of language. But sometimes it's just a little bit too simplified. Simplified too much. But if they make it too complex, they'll have to explain it. And they don't have time to yes. explain it. So <clears throat> yeah. they have to they're having to basically do it as though they're talking to children. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good uh, a, a good uh, a good analogy. <clears throat> Except they have like four hours to go from you know, children who don't understand anything to full blown well, teenagers. Someone would argue that teenagers actually do speak correctly, but anyway. Yeah. Irae needs Zora to give him access to the replicators so he can build a molecule of his own, and then they can project the lights so the TNC can read it. What? What? Why does Irae need Zora to give him access to the replicator? Also, how do you replicate a molecule? Oh, you have... Silly questions. That's easy. You press the blue button, then the green button, then seven, <laughs> six, five, and enter. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But Zora is mole- happy to assist. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no. Molecules are like teeny tiny yeah. things. Oh, I know. So it should be a really, really thin um, extruder <laughs> nozzle. Yeah. Zora is happy to assist the doctor, and Panam puts them both to work. And Doye takes Tirina aside, asking if they should find a way to escape the, what, the orb. Meanwhile, Panam asks Suru if all was well, and Suru thought back of, to how Tirina had been so strident in the meeting earlier. Panam assures him that it was the matter of logic above all, that Vulcans tended to overcompensate in public, especially when close relationships, close relationships were involved. She knows this because Sarek had done it all the time, and she admits it drove her crazy. Saru appreciates the context, and Burnham jokes, she's willing to serve as a translator when needed. Irai reports the message is ready. I hadn't... I'd forgotten this. Yeah? You had? It's, it's very easy to forget that Burnham is, in all but race, Vulcan. Yes. Yeah, she's been raised on Vulcan. Precisely. By so Sarek. she she's she's going to get yeah well, yeah absolutely so she she's going to get a lot of the context from from Tarina and any other Nivarians 
um, <laughs> that 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 non neverites um, aren't going to pick up on. So, yeah. sure. actually, that that I suppose that makes um, uh, that makes Burnham Saru's wingman. Is that is that yeah? Is that like that? Yeah. Yes, ring woman, uh, wing wing woman. That oh, he can't say wing, that. Wing, person. wing woman, wing person, wing wing person. Let, let's let's go with the the current flows. Um, wing pal, wing pal is, is isn't wing pal? Nah, wing person, no, wing person. Uh, that, that would be yeah. Also, I, it felt strange that uh, Burnham called Sarek just Sarek. You know, we're so used to him being called Ambassador Sarek that that. I mean, I guess it's her father, so she doesn't have to call him ambassador. Sorry, but still, um, stepfather doesn't stepfather. Yeah, stepfather. Yeah, or yeah, well, they're, they're not yeah, related. Stepfather. Yeah, yes, 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 stepfather. So I, I, I thought you were going to say it's unusual that she would call him Sarek. Why didn't he call him Dad? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Sarek's yeah, how, yeah, how Sarek. she would have known him. Yeah, yeah. But I guess she doesn't have to call him by his title. No. Uh, about this ship, Booker, conf- Booker confronts Taka about Reno's revelation and that Taka has, had said no one else would get hurt. Taka tries to explain that he did not want to make it harder for Booker, given how much he had already given up. But Booker shuts him, shuts, uh, shoots at him. Well, it's going to shut him. I'm tired. But Booker shoots at him that he lied. Booker is adamant that he will not do to the Tennessee what they did to Wajon, and most certainly would not put Discovery at risk. Taka, coldly analytical, dismisses the certainty that the hyperfield would implode, and even if it did, total collapse would take three minutes, so they and Discovery could escape safely. Earth would have... Yes. No, no, carry on. Earth would have a month before the void impacted, plenty of time for the scientists to figure out a solution. <laughs> right, so if if he has dismissed the certainty that the hyperfield is going to implode, why is he then quoting times and statistics and all the rest of it following the possibility that the hyperfield is going to implode? Because I think he knows and he just yeah. you know wants to just just it's just for a book your sake. Oh, you know, maybe he lied. Yeah, to uh, his face. Uh, yes, and he keeps lying. Yeah, but I think Booker is now uh, Tark. Uh, the Booker's opinion of Tarker is now tainted because of what Reno said to him. So she, yeah. he's now seeing things in a slightly different filter. Yes. So I think I, I can't. Rem- I can't remember his exact his exact reaction to what Tarker was saying. But I, from what I recall. He he's starting to actually listen to what Tarka's saying, rather than just blindly accepting everything that's being told to him. Yes, Booker insists Taka should have told him, and that their plan was a last resort. Taka insists that within forty minutes they would break out, but Booker intends to tell Ndoye to stand down before they start something they can't stop, and demands Taka stay away from the consoles. Taka replies that he can't. Not when he was so close to his goal. Booker reminds him that it was his ship and draws his father. But suddenly, a security field comes up, comes up around Taka, knocking Booker back into the view screen. Ouch. And mm. there was lots of 
broken glass. Yeah. Which is not very safe on a spaceship, if I may no, say so myself. Particularly when that view screen is actually a window to the outside world. So yeah. breaking breaking bits off of it is not the best thing. No. No. Indeed. I mean, even our cars have uh, windshields that can't break, uh, mm. I guess, in, in the 30-something century. They probably managed to get... Well, in a, in a car, the windscreen yeah. actually forms part of the structural integrity of the entire vehicle. Yeah, um, yeah but... And, and even that, if that's, you... without, that's without the vacuum of space to consider. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, yeah. Even if you punch a windshield with a baseball bat... It, it won't shatter in multiple pieces. No, it'll dent because it's laminated. Yeah. Yeah. But that just seemed to break like a drinks glass. Yeah, exactly. Back in the shuttle bay, the tends you return and send a new pattern that Zora sends to Erai's holopad. Erai sees it as more equations, all equaling to nine. They have made their first contact. Yeah, because the message was five plus four equals nine, something like that, I think. Yes. Just then, a metallic egg-shaped object enters the shuttle bay. Security! <laughs> Sarah detects no radiation, but detects the hydrocarbon for peacefulness on its surface. And the interior contains a breathable atmosphere. The surface of the object ripples and creates doors not unlike those of Discovery. And Burnham realizes that NC wants to continue communicating by having someone go inside. And it's a teeny tiny little sphere. Yeah. So I guess one person can, can go inside at, at this moment, right? Have you seen Doctor Who? Yes, I did. It's bigger on the inside than on, <laughs> on the outside. But still, they don't know that. No, they don't. <laughs> Booker continues to be knocked back by Taka's latest defense upgrades before finally collapsing to the deck. Taka takes Booker's scum badge and puts him into the force field with Reno, apologizing that he had never wanted any of this. He felt he had only two real friends in his life, and Booker had been one of them. Reno tells him he had a funny way of showing it, and that what he, he was doing was wrong. Taka says only that in 30, 30 minutes, they would be out of the orb and on their way. Right. Well, I guess... I don't know if it was that inevitable. I don't know. Because we said last week that Booker and Taka were together because at some point they wanted the same thing, but because they didn't want to achieve that goal in the same way that that just couldn't work. No, I'm going to challenge that. I don't think that Taka and Booker have ever wanted the same thing. But I think that Tarka had spent a lot of his effort convincing Booker that they wanted the same thing. We know for a fact that that is not the case. They've never wanted the same yeah. thing. Booker's ulterior motive, sorry, Tarka's ulterior motive, has never aligned with either that of the uh, the, um, the Federation mission or of Booker. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean, yes. Okay, but well, now he's uh, um, what? What did he say earlier? Taka, not not uh, hostage, but uh, temporarily detained. Temporarily, temporarily yeah. detained. 
Andoya is skeptical about the risks involved in going inside, but Burnham points out that if the tendency meant harm, they would have done it already. And Rilak agrees. A failure of diplomacy would mean far greater consequences than any personal risk to them. Rilak volunteers to enter and asks Burnham and Saru to join her, as their skill as a xenoanthropologist and a linguist would, would help. Right. Didn't, didn't they have... Uh, they uh, Burnham and Rilak, that same conversation uh, with the, the exact episode, opposite, yes. Uh, the exact opposite, yes. yes. Okay. Uh, yes, right. where Rilak was, was sure. challenging Burnham as to why both Burnham and Saru had to go at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But, like I said earlier on, they're at the point now where they can do nothing but go forward. So, yes. it, it's kind of irrelevant now as to whether the captain and the first officer are going into this situation at the same time because there's still a 90% chance they're not going to come out of this alive. Yes. Rilak also turns to Ndoye and Tirina to join them as well as their planets were under direct threat. Now, the sphere is very small and yet Tirina, uh, not Tirina, um, Rilak invites four other persons to join her in that sphere that Obviously, cannot hold more than one or maybe two person. Yeah, that's fair. Nah, uh, Tirina agrees with without hesitation. But Ndoye elects to remain behind, choosing to have faith they would convey the proper message. Hmm. But we know why. But from the others, yeah, because she's point a filthy spy. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> but maybe they just think she's a uh, a filthy scared. coward. No, she's scared. Scary cat. Given the unknowns, Burnham and Rilak both agreed that Zora should remain behind as well. Duh. How, how, right. how, can, how can she even get in the thing? That was my question. That was exactly my question. How on earth would she have gone with them anyway? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, unless, of course, she can download herself to someone's um, combat slash tricorder. Maybe. And project herself from there. But maybe you know she 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 if if there's one if there's one thing that Zora lacks it's tangibility. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. she is completely yeah. insubstantial. Yeah, which could be a problem somewhere sometimes. You would have thought so. Sarah will assemble a portable transporter unit and some samples of the hydrocarbons and thinks Stamets can suggest something to project a light map. Panam tells him to have Stamets do all of that as she needed a private word. At that, that point, I was thinking, oh, she's going to uh, talk to him about Ndoye. She, she must have seen something. But no. No, not a clue. Not a clue. Not a Scooby. In her quarters, with Grudge lounging on her bed, Burnham admits her fears. The Tensi... Ooh, pencil. The Tensi hold uh, all the cards and everything was slipping through her fingers. Including her voice at that point. Yes. Yes. Well, it's not as whispery as last week's episode, but Sarah agrees that he also struggles when he has a lack of control, but they had to make peace with the idea. He adds that Taka, interestingly enough, had shown him a method to, uh, of dealing with it. However, unorthodox. Yelling. They both start wordlessly screaming before breaking down into a laughter. Yeah, that was that was cool. A really good scene. Yeah. Although yeah. the the irony 
of actually doing something that Tarka had uh, had recommended and it being of benefit to them wasn't lost on me. No, true. Uh, also, Venom is used to whispering, not screaming. And when she started screaming, I was like, "What? what? What's that? What's that? But the, the, the start of a scream was not was not scream. Was a high pitched. I don't know what. Something, but but then they started screaming together. And yes. I laughed, and then they laughed too. Yeah, so, uh, it, it was yeah. it was fun. It, it was a nice tension release because yes, you know everything had been really kind of tense up to that point. Yeah, um, yeah, really good. But I'm still sorry that there was uh, no. Sorry, but I'm confesses that she needed that. While Grudge apparently did not, as she wanders off. <laughs> but I'm still sorry sur- that there was no one else she would rather go into the situation with. And Sarah replies that it was an honor to be at her side today and always before the hug. <laughs> that was a little bit, little bit sickly, but yeah, yeah. it was, it was nice. Yes, I, lo- I love their friendship. It's, it's, it's a really, really key important part of discovery for me. Considering yes. what they've been through, um, you know, they have been two of the most constant characters throughout the entire of the Discovery series. Yeah, uh, it's, well, they are central characters. So, mm. yeah. And, uh, yes, it's uh, it's nice uh, sometimes to to be reminded that they are friends. They're not just colleagues and, and bridge crew. They're, they're no, exactly. They're almost family. Could you imagine Picard and Riker having that particular conversation, or or Archer well, and T'Pol, or um, Kirk and Spock? Picard and Riker, also Kirk and Spock, up to the hug part, maybe. <laughs> I mean, to, no. <laughs> no to, be, to be fair, not. Picard and Riker actually did have quite a strong friendship. Yeah, but the, the, it was always made completely clear of the professional relationship between the two of them. Yeah. So I don't think they could ever be considered friends. Um, they just got on really well. Yes, agreed. Spock and Kirk were, were friends, and and Bones. Yes, although I could. Well, Spock doesn't hug. We know. That. No. <laughs> In engineering, Kelber asks if Zora is sure Reno is there, and her senses confirm confirm she is. Azura has been there all day, and they have not seen her once. Kelber looks around and spots Reno's comb badge beneath a floor a floor grill. Grill? Green? Green? Grill. Grill, okay. Zora reports it was showing full biometric readings, even though Reno herself was not present. Kelber suggests paging her, as she had to be on the ship somewhere. That was it, yeah. Yeah. So, question... Well, first, the obvious question, how did Kelber spotted the comb badge? I don't yeah. know. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. Everybody, you know, people were there all day. Nobody saw that. And mm. he arrives and says, oh, look, under the carpet. <laughs> As if he put it, it here himself. Oh. Uh-huh. But no, oh, we, my we goodness true, me. Yes. Conspiracy. So that was my first question. Mm. Uh, second question. Who put it there? It's probably not Renault. So it's probably um, darker. Um, this got answered. I'm sure it got answered. Um, oh, it wa- oh, I missed that. 
No, I'm I'm trying to remember whether whether we've whether we've well, either I'm completely imagining this week? or it's not happened. No, I'm I'm sure it happened later on in this episode. There was something that was said about. I'm sure Reno said no. that when she realised that she was going to be captured, she actually hid the com badge herself. No, she said she stole the communicator chip. Chip. That's what she said. Because why oh. would she? leave her com badge emitting her bioscience knowing that she was going to be captured that doesn't make any sense i if you, it kind if of you're getting does. kidnapped no it doesn't if you're getting kidnapped you want to make someone aware that you have been kidnapped you don't leave your com badge with your bioscience where you are not and unless she was hoping that it would be found and then it would be obvious that she'd been taken if the combat had gone with her when she was she was temporarily detained, then Tarka would have removed it from her because obviously you don't want her to be able to beam herself out and onto the back onto Discovery and put it somewhere where it would not have necessarily been obvious that but, it had been removed. But Zora would have received an alert that someone had left the ship. Maybe. But then they would never have known because ship is currently invisible to Zora. So presumably that so, means that the combadge would also be invisible to Zora. Yeah, so combadge, combadge, combadge pings, combadge pings, combadge pigs, combadge doesn't ping. You know, so alert, combadge disappeared. Okay. We are back to your monitoring your server. Server yeah. stops, monitoring alerts. Server has stopped working. Okay. Please do something. That's what monitoring does. Yes. Just complains. Doesn't do anything except complaining. Observability. Yes. As Zora pages for Reno to report to engineering, Saru approaches Tirina in the shuttle bay, expressing his belief that there was no cause to fear. Tirina wishes she could say the same and admits she is uncertain about how to step into danger with someone from whom, for whom she has personal fondness, speculating that this is why she avoids closeness with others. And just then, he is interrupted by a science officer bringing him the materials he requested from Stamets. Again. <laughs> yes, again. He's the, uh, the uh, you know, Mr. Bad, bad Timing. <laughs> <laughs> Every single week. Yeah. Burnham leads the team through the doors. As the door close, as the doors close, the object abruptly vanishes from the shuttle bay. Leaving Irai and Andoye staring in, in con- staring, 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 staring in concern. Where they go? Well, where did they go? Yeah, Tardis doesn't do that. Oh no, the Tardis, Tardis exactly does that. <laughs> yes, but much slower. Yes, yes, with it's with a lot slower. more noise. Have, have you um have you ever watched Doctor Who with subtitles on? No, why? Okay, um, certainly in in the UK, if you have if you're watching Doctor Who with the subtitles on, and the TARDIS is about to move on, the sound that the TARDIS makes is represented on the subtitles by the word "warp." Warp. Warp. V W O R P. Warp. 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 Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. 
Yeah. It's kind of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. The fact that there's a word for it, and it's consistent. Every single series, you see, it says yeah. warp every time. So does that mean the TARDIS goes to warp speed? Warp, warp speed, yes. <laughs> warp speed. Very good. Well, <clears throat> how about we go to Act 4 of our uh, current episode? Yeah, go on. The team steps onto a recreation of Discovery's bridge, which Burnham b- believes was created for their benefit. Relaxes, they have lost contact with the ship and are on their own. Not entirely, Burnham, re- Burnham replies, as something appears before them. An isolated weapon. Burnham's recorder shows it not to be armed, thinking they must have built it based on data from the one target detonated in the DMA. Tyrina wonders if it was a threat, while Saru thinks it might be a gift in return for the Boronite. Saru's scanners show the Tensei have released a mist of molecule onto the view screen, which is then followed by the light pattern. <coughs> Saru translates the message. 178 plus a mathematical equation equaled a curiosity hydrocarbon. Relak asks if the message was about the weapon, and Burnham thinks it might be, as 178 was the atomic number for isolinium. How on earth could the Tensei know that? That was exactly my question, because the table of elements is something that was created on Earth, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. Now, to be fair, there are only 118 elements on the periodic table now. But the atomic number is, as I understand it, a sequential number. So the only way they could know that it was number 178 is if they had access to the periodic table that was being used by the Federation. Yeah. Yeah, But I suppose they could have read Federation files because there's no security on Discovery. Which means they understand English because everyone speaks English in the galaxy which means they could have sent a 180 text to say hello so yeah no no <laughs> i'm i'm not uh, i'm buying that yeah sarah thinks the equation was an expression of volume for a convex lens lens like shape the dma but i'm realizes it was a question why was the weapon used against the dma Saru theorizes that the Tensi are unaware of the damage the DMA caused, and Rilak replies the response needs to make them understand. Easier said than done. What if anybody actually took that equation and plotted it to see if it did make a DMA-like shape? Yeah, maybe it's just an Easter egg or a duck. Mm. Oops. Microphone again. <laughs> Meanwhile, Andoya contacts Booker, telling him what has happened to Burnham. Booker tells Taka, holding Booker's comm badge, to have her stand down, but Taka thinks they could be dead. Booker, point, Booker points out that if the Tennessee wanted them dead, they would be already. That's twice we heard that in mm-hmm. this episode. They have no, evi- there's no evidence of that. But anyway. Although that wasn't in but, the context of wanting them dead, that was in the context of, of making contact. No, so also, Burnham said somewhere, uh, sometimes earlier, if they wanted to hurt them, they would have already. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Taka retorts that they had no idea when Burnham and her people would come back and that there were only hours before the DMA hit Earth. Taka sends a text message to Ndoye telling her to proceed. Ndoye inputs the override and begins projecting the plasma. See, it's easy to send a text message. Even Taka can do it. 
Yeah, I'm sure the 10, 10C could do it if they tried. Just hack one of the com badges. How yeah. difficult can it be? Within the replica bridge, they agree on their response. The DMA equation plus the hydrocarbon for Terra. But Relac is unsure how to convey the concept of us. Then thinks perhaps the number four, as there were four of them. Tirina suggests six, the atomic number for carbon. Saru fears such number may have other meaning uh, to the tendency leading to misunderstanding. Yeah, great. It's mm. too, too broad. The, too broad yeah, of too meaning. generic, yeah. Burnham realizes Tirina was on the right track. Biology. The tendency created an atmosphere they needed to breathe. 78% nitrogen, 22% oxygen, 0.93% argon, and 0.04% carbon dioxide, which they would recognize as us. Mm, yeah, I guess. Saro inputs the message, DMA plus us equals terror. The Tensi replied with a greater than symbol and the hydrocarbon for sadness, or great sadness. Technically greater sadness, but we let that one <laughs> slip. Asterina interprets it. This means they understand, they have empathy, which means diplomacy would work. Dun, it is, dun, dun. Yeah, it's so it's about easy time. to be overcritical about the oversimplification of this wish that they're yeah. in the process of, of putting together between them. Um, but you're, you're trying to simplify a construct that is inherently complex. Yeah. You know, let's send the number four. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's send the number six. That doesn't work. So let's send um, a, a composite of the makeup of the breathing atmosphere that they've given us, and they will recognize that as us. Well, no. What it could mean is DNA plus our breathing uh, environment equals terror. Yeah. So please, please use your DMA to destroy our breathing environment, and then we'll be happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, Again, I, I know this is because they're, um, they're, they're, they're trying to, to get through the storyline. There's only one more episode left after this one. But we, you know what we do. We, we, yeah. we pull things apart. <laughs> In engineering, Kerber explains to Stamet that Zora found evidence of uh, Reynolds' badge has been tampered with. If it didn't sound completely insane, Kerber would think someone took Reno off the ship. It's not completely insane. It's... Actually, what Actually, happened? happened? Stamet admits he should have realized something was wrong when he couldn't find her. Kerber assures him it was not his fault. Zora thinks she has found an answer. Access panel 4351 was briefly opened, but the maintenance check was not scheduled until the next day. Oh my god, how mm. could that be possible? They don't have any security on the panels. No. Adira goes to check and finds Starka's patch which is like a, smaller than a Raspberry Pi, glued you know, with double-sided tape on, on <laughs> the thing. It's connecting to nothing. Yes. Um, it's probably wireless. But. Zora confirms this was the source of a feeling and then detects Booker's ship attached to the hull. Now, it's interesting the way she expressed that. You know, when... when uh, probably when the device was removed from where it was, the patch ceased to work. And then Zora said, oh no! You know, like, <laughs> I, I, like, like a human, like, like uh, well, a sentient living creature. But yeah, that's what she's doing though, isn't it? Yeah, that's, I guess 
That's what she's doing now. I, yeah. I think they're they're trying to make it more and more apparent that she is not just a computer. She's not just an AI. She's a sentient being. And having her react in the way that a human would do under that same circumstance is it's just reiterating that fact. Yeah. Well, some, I think sometimes they try too, too hard to agree this message. But anyway. Yeah. The ship suddenly shakes with plasma venting from one of the nacelles. On the bridge, Oshikun reports the plasma was burning a hole in the in the orb, and Stamets reports Booker's ship attached. Reese at the con is aware, seeing them on scans. The hole is burned through the orb, and Booker's ship uses the reverse tractor beam to escape the orb. That's as many orbs as I can fit in three sentences. <laughs> Did you spot the pronunciation of the word nacelles? No. They called them nacelles as opposed as opposed to nacelles. 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 Oh, right. Nacelles. Maybe it's mm. uh, the American way. Yes. Ne- negative. Negative cells. <laughs> nacelles. Nacelles. Yeah. They're all nacelles. <laughs> maybe the the knights with his knee. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the room, that's a whole... Other story. <laughs> Back in the replica bridge, Saru prepares the message to ask the Tensi to withdraw the DMA when the light flickers for a moment, and then the four are sent back to the real discovery. Irai reports that Booker's ship was attached and had escaped the orb. Meanwhile, Taka tries to fly the ship to the power source, though weapons and warp drive were still disabled. Booker admits to Reno he should have listened to her, but Reno assures him that even when all seemed lost, and at this point it seemed like it was, she had a way out. She had a communicator chip, which she, st- she stashed on her when she realized Taka was going to stun her. When Booker asks about the licorice, Reno explains the g- oh, gosh, the glycerizic, glycerizic acid nice. in licorice. Yeah. yeah, I'll go with that. When it dissolves, Conducted electricity. She's tried to call Discovery, but can't get, can't get past the ship's security without Booker's access codes. Returning to the bridge, Burnham asks if they can get out the same way Booker's ship did. But Rhys reports that they had nothing to repel against, and the hole was already sealed. Christopher reports an urgent message from Booker's ship. Reno explains that Taka had her and Booker trapped, and if he takes out the DMA's power source, it would destroy the hyperfield, the Tensi, and probably Discovery along with it, and would also leave a toxic West dump headed right for Earth. You oh have to stop way. us, whatever it takes. Reno urges. Oh, dear. Uh, the episode ends on a close-up on uh, Burnham's face. Mm. Like, she was like, I we didn't need that. I have a really bad feeling about this. I, I'm really feeling for Reno right now, because the way she's acting the way she's talking i think obviously i know what's going to happen over the next episode but at this point in time i'm thinking to myself i think we're going to lose reno yeah it's uh certainly a, a, a possibility yes yes i'm I'm thinking we're going to lose reno booker and Taka. yeah well yeah that's entirely likely as well to be fair it's not looking good for them no not at all it's not looking they're, they're now well, they're going to collapse the hyperfield. They're going to try and escape. So that's that's uh, first 
first thing they need to escape. But then if Discovery can escape, they're going to have Discovery on their back too. And then when they go back to the Milky Way, they're going to have the Federation on their back. So, yeah. yeah. Although Daka doesn't intend to go back, I guess, once you had the... Once you have the power source, is going to. Tra- do, does he have the transporter with him? The the interdimension transporter. Oh, we don't know that. Oh. Actually, I don't think we do. That's a very good question. I no, he doesn't. I so don't think he, he does. He he because uh, I think what he must be doing is he's he's going to get the power source to then take it back to the Emerald Chain colony. Yeah. To use the the transporter where it is. Yes, that's my uh, understanding. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. So that was the end of the episode. What did you think? Oh, it's all very exciting, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, I, I really enjoyed the fact that in this episode we spent a lot of time in what really should be the a plot of the entire season, which is the interaction with the Ten C. So it was nice to concentrate more on that than the side plots, which is kind of what's been happening over the last few weeks. Um, yeah, so the, the the relationship between Tarka and Booker has pretty much fallen apart by this point again. <laughs> yeah, well, they shot him three times, I think. Yeah. Um, the relationship between um, yeah, Saru and Tarina took an interesting turn but we we understand why that was so yeah. kind of glad they've they they appear to have have rectified this now um the little very short bit we saw between saru and burnham was was really nice because it, it kind of cemented the fact that those two they are really good friends and they have they, they care a lot about each other so it's, it's nice to see yeah. that being confirmed um as part of this episode but really, other than that, there wasn't too, unless I've missed something, there wasn't too much else going on other than this interaction with the with the 10C. And yeah. the fact that in the space of 45-odd minutes, uh, and also, heads up, by the way, episode 13, next week's episode is over an hour long. So they're, they're cashing in on the, uh, on the extra time. Um what they fitted in this episode alongside the little side plots as well uh, is that actually has answered a lot of questions for us around who the, the Tensi are, what their intentions are, the kind of um, culture they have, the, the way they view um, things and the fact that they actually seem to be really accepting of this other life form that they don't understand as much as, our guys don't understand the 10 C. Yeah. Um, and they appear to have shown genuine remorse for the fact that this DNA, this, this convex shape has caused terror to the people that breathe our atmosphere. Yeah. If you look at where we were 10 episodes ago, we have made well, in fact, even if you look at where we were last week, last we've week. made incredible <laughs> strides Yeah, at, at first contact. Um, well, of course, that's been kind of scuppered by the fact that uh, Tarka 
broke out of the of the orb um i presume that's the reason why they they threw uh the discovery crew back at discovery mm-hmm. um but no i this is a really really good episode um you know everybody is to be applauded for 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 their input on it. um and the only other thing that i will add which actually is going to be the entirety of the trivia for this episode is that glyceric acid <laughs> is a thing it is oh wow and it and it is actually the bit of licorice that gives it its flavor Okay. Cool. I've learned but something. Whether, whether it conducts electricity or not, I have no idea whatsoever. <laughs> but what, what did you know. think? I'm, I'm, uh, I think it was a good episode. Um, I think you, you summarized that uh, very well. Uh, I, I don't have really much to add, except maybe maybe the, the reason why we had a focus on the B plots and C plots in previous episodes, it's probably because they didn't have too much matter for that that Tensi story. Uh, because for a few episodes now, all we had was getting ready to go outside of the galaxy, then going outside of the galaxy, then finding the Tensi's homeworld. But this has nothing to do with interacting with, the, well, last episodes had, but but it's only in this episode that we're, we're uh, uh, beginning to, to have interaction between the Tensi's and the Federation. So, Probably they could have, and the season with eight episodes, and that would have that would have been as uh, you know the 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 main plot wouldn't wouldn't be shortened. But <clears throat> other than that, yes, a, a good episode. Um, I think you've said uh, everything I had to say. Um, I'm I'm trying to think about something else. Um, no, I, I don't I don't have any except maybe for for the. The point we've already um, noticed is that they rushed the language learning, but they do, you know, you can't spend 15 episodes on how to learn to speak with the other species. <laughs> this has to go very fast. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mentioned, we mentioned already uh, many, many times the uh, the Stargate Syndrome, where uh, in the first episode, they, they were spending a good part of the episode trying to understand the, the the other planet's language, but then they dropped that and they arrived and everybody was uh, speaking English and uh, mm. and that's it. Which is okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Um, the fact that they suggested using the, the this intermediary language, like math, math, um, it's it's a good thing. And um, as you said, everything is, um, is actually... Uh, uh, a real thing so mm. no i guess uh, a good episode it's one of the one of the ones that i remembered from my first viewing of this entire series um it's it's one that is really important this one and the next one um and um as you said good quality good good writing good playing um no nothing nothing wrong really with this uh, with this episode yeah i i think the the approach of running the episode pace quite slowly towards the late middle of the season and then suddenly sprinting through the last couple of episodes with all the detail and all the questions and everything else on there. It, it's a common theme, I think, 
because season one of Picard, um, season three of um, of Discovery, actually the the, the Sukal story, uh, most of that happened in the last two episodes of the series. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not unheard of within the Star Trek universe, and I would I, th- I would probably argue it's going to be the same in the majority of other um, science fiction and or drama shows as well. But it's working as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah we we had a couple mm-hmm. of 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 filler episodes in this season. No, I think we probably had one major filler episode in this season, but. It is it is getting much more exciting now. You're starting to get the action that we've been clamouring for for the last um, eight, nine episodes, which have really kind yeah. of dragged through. Um, and having seen episode 13, next week's episode, very recently, the pace does not slow down. No, no. So, no, it's, yeah, yeah. We, we've, we've got a, a lot to look forward to next week. Yeah. So, yes, it's a really nice setup for that. All right. So, if you don't have anything to add... Nope. ...then we will conclude this review of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 10, Species... Episode 12, Species 10C. I want licorice now. So, thanks to all of you for listening to our show. You can help us spread the love for this podcast by learning a new language based on molecules and mathematics to try and convey the feeling that our show is the best show in the whole universe... Or if you think that this is not true and you would rather we leave you alone in your little corner of the galaxy, you can share the address of our website on social media. Excellent. And you can find our website at tlgreyhot.org where you'll find the show notes um, and you can leave a comment uh, on the episode at the bottom of each. Yes, we are also on Telegram at t.me slash podcast and also on Mastodon at tghpodcast at 1701home.com. And we also stream the recording of these episodes live on Twitch, uh, which you can find over at twitch.tv slash TEGA. Thanks to Memory Alpha, as always, <clears throat> we have based our review, well, we actually used their review for this episode uh, on their work, and this is released under a Creative Commons by attribution non-commercial license. And the rest of this show is released under a Creative Commons by attribution share-alike license. See our website for the details. Bottom left-hand corner. This was... Yes, this podcast is part of the Other Side Podcast Network. Check out our website at otherside.network for all the information you might want to get. Indeed. And our next episode will be our review of Coming Home, the 13th and final episode of Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. And it is going to be a doozy. Exactly. And that's it for this episode. Thank you, Dave. Uh, once again, uh, joining us, joining me. Pleasure uh, as always. For, for this review. Mm. We need to get some uh, some guests back on we this do. show. It's been a while. Yeah. We yeah. do. Well, Maybe we'll, uh, we'll do that with... Uh, are we going to announce our intentions ahead. now or are we going to save yes. that for next week? No, we can we can do that now. So the the plan for, for the future, which is two weeks from now, is to review Picard Season 2. Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I have, well, I've seen the first two episodes, I think, and then I gave up, but I'm going to watch it for the reviews. Maybe I'll change my mind. Who knows? Um, and then we will do Strange New World season one. And then probably Discovery season five will not be available yet. So we're going to review Picard season three after that. But, but for the immediate future, it's Picard season two starting in two. 
And if by the time that we finish reviewing Picard Season 3, if uh, Season 5 of Discovery still isn't available for us, then we will start with Season 1 of Lab. Will we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, come on. If, <laughs> Maybe. If, if, if you decided that, that Season 2 of Picard was in, you know, sufficient enough to abandon after two episodes, and now you're going to go back and review it, then I think you should be fair and do the same for, uh, for Lower Decks. Fair enough. Fair enough. Although you'll, you'll change your mind by the time we get there. <laughs> <laughs> we will end this episode and we will be back next week with a whole lot more Star Trek Discovery. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Ciao, ciao. See ya. Let's fly. Punch it. Manifest. Engage. Who said manifest? We- <laughs> oh, Saru. Saru. Saru, yes. <laughs> You've been listening to a member of the Otherside Podcast Network. Find more about our shows at otherside.network. <laughs>